thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy, Mac. Joining me today, my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, along with Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod, a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Just got to throw that in. Yes, sir. <laughs> Fellas, the, the game last night, Washington, it was brutal at stretches. You know, we just referenced that. But luckily, the team was able to pull out the win on some, on a very defensive battle, if I might say. To me, that felt like old school basketball especially considering the the talent that was missing on both sides. We know that Cleveland, you know, a lot of the guards are out, but it, let's not mistake the fact that Washington is also down significant talent as well. With that in mind, I'll go to Justin first, man. What was your biggest takeaway from last night's win? Uh, I'm, I mean, the biggest takeaway is just that they managed to find a way to win. <laughs> like uh, th- these games matter a lot uh, from just a kind of ease for the rest of the schedule standpoint. Like you want to have as much of a cushion as possible as you're going into these tough games. But at the same time, I felt pretty confident that the Cavs have enough in these games to go out and win. They're just not playing well enough. Like I understand that they're missing guards, but they went out and they beat Charlotte with less than they had here. They, they did it without Liver, without Garland, uh, without Lowry Marketed. Um, I, I really do think when you look at the biggest differences between why they lost versus Detroit and why they won against Washington, Jetty Osmond played really well. Uh, Jared Allen went off for 18 and 14 instead of uh, 11 and 9. Like You need the guys to, to step up and, and play better than they have because as much as we know that Garland is the straw that stirs the drink with this team and the the guy that really makes everything click. You don't want this to be a situation where the Cavs are reliant on one player to initiate. And I I do think figuring out ways to make it work, having reps where Mobley is playmaking out of the high post, uh, attacking the basket, not settling for for lazy jump shots. I think all of that stuff is, is really important for the Cavs' growth. And it was encouraging to see that, hey, Things aren't necessarily going our way, but we we still found a way to go out and win. And I I think that needs to be the mentality whenever they're playing without Garland and Levert. That's a good way of putting it. I I, I didn't necessarily think of it that way, but now that you've mentioned it, that's probably the mindset that we should have, is that we shouldn't be nearly as reliant as we are upon Garland to initiate the offense. Although we know, you know, he is the the straw that stirs the drink, but he is, you know, we this team does have to figure out other ways to initiate the offense. And I feel like they have the requisite talent there to do that. I just think it's all about scheming up ways. Corey, I'll go to you with the same question, man. What's your biggest takeaway? That the basically solidify the identity of this Cavs team all season. The defense is what turns the offense for this team. And when the defense 
was struggling at times when Washington went out, what looked like it was going to kind of be a death nail at certain times <laughs> for this Cavs team. Cause pe- they just weren't hitting shots at times. I tweeted out in the first quarter. I'm like, looks like this is going to have to be the Kevin love offensive hub game. And then the boy, was quarter, it not? Like, <laughs> yeah, and, oh, and then I was like, well, turns out it's going to be Jetty as the offensive hub yeah. because he pretty much the whole team ran through him. Kev like played 14 minutes last night, if I'm not mistaken. That's how bad it was from a shooting perspective. Kevin Love is two of 15 over the last two games. And like, that's why I, I know everybody wants to focus on, oh, the guards are now, we're, we're resting Garland. Uh, Karis Levert's got this ankle injury. Like, and as someone that has been spewing Garland propaganda for the last couple of years, this would be a very convenient lane for me to go. Oh yeah. Darius Garland should be in the MVP conversation. You know, like this, this is that guy. Of course he was an all-star. He's that good. And I, well, I wouldn't go to the MVP extent. Like <laughs> a lot of that is true, right? Like he is that level of a difference maker, but I, I do feel like it's almost letting some of these guys off the hook. Like if you're getting six man of the year, Kevin Love, like you were getting earlier in the season, you would have won both of these games. If Evan Mobley and Jared Allen were more assertive, you win both of these games. And I, I don't think, like, I, I think so much of debate culture with sports podcasts and TV shows and all that stuff has made winning or losing like a character thing. It's not that. Like, this is a young team that's learning how to win and learning how to win with and without different players. So I, I do think recognizing this as an opportunity like it's unfortunate you're in this position and it might impact seating and we understand all of those implications but reality is they have enough firepower to go out and win these games and i I think it's a good opportunity for these guys to develop some skill sets and and even even if they lose these games i think that's something you can learn from because Cavs lost a ton down the stretch last season, and it didn't it didn't stop Garland and Allen from making the leap. They figured out what wasn't working for them and what they needed to add to their game to be more effective. So I do think there's no such thing as a lost game when it comes to the Cavs. I couldn't agree more in that regard, man. I mean, just from a pure certain uh, circumstance of development, I feel like last night was a step in the right direction. You know, guys like Brandon Goodwin, who... You know, didn't shoot terribly well. I think it was two of 11 from the field. He did add other things. And to be honest with you, this is a very good opportunity for him to be able to make an impression on the coaching mm-hmm. staff if he hasn't already uh, and endear himself to the fans a bit. Although I'm starting to see a lot of people are uh, not feeling too great about him right now. But at the yeah. same time, it's it's development. It's just one of those things. You, you have to figure out, you know, it's that next man up mentality. You have to figure out where your offense is going to come from. Um, speaking in, uh, in in regards to the point about the aggressiveness from Allen and Mobley. Now, I, I do feel like there was a concerted effort last night to up that intensity, especially on the defensive end. But I think my concern in that regard lies with more, I don't even know if you can really call them traditional bigs, but beefier guys out there, some yeah. of the stronger guys, they have been able to kind of take advantage of the Cavs. And uh, short of putting on some weight in the offseason for Mobley in particular, I don't know what you're going to do because I, I don't know if that's more of a mentality standpoint for the both of them uh, or if it's it really comes down purely to the physical nature uh, of the game. So, you know, we, we've often talked about, you know, Jared Allen kind of wearing out down the stretch of last season. And I'm hoping that that doesn't kind of follow suit this year. Uh, but but I do have confidence in both of those two to to kind of figure it out. I'm just I'm wondering, you know, I guess if I'm going to phrase this as a question for you, Justin, 
Is this more of a physical or or mental thing for both of them? I think to some extent, like there's obviously a physical component, but some of this is also experience, right? Like mm-hmm. if you are going up against a Joel Embiid, what can you do to prevent him from catching the ball in areas where he's just going to be devastating, right? Like, and, and I think Allen did a pretty good job, even in that one Philly game, of making things a little bit more difficult. Like, Embiid is probably still going to get 30 on you, but if you can make him work and make him less effective in the second half, I, I think that opens up uh, opportunities for you. So, I, I mean, there are going to be things. Let's be honest. There's going to be issues with the Cavs that are not going to be solved this season. And I I know everyone's going to jump to, okay, well, then who do they add to fix it? Like, everything has to be a transaction. Some of that's going to come internally. Some of that's going to come with physical maturity. Some of that's going to come in experience. But this is still a team very, very early in the team building process. And there's just going to be times where just you just don't have an answer. And I, I think that's okay to acknowledge. I mean, we love that they're ahead of schedule and they have earned increased expectations. They have earned uh, the kind of the right for fans to be disappointed <laughs> in them at times. Like, yeah. that's that's fine to acknowledge. And, and we can compartmentalize and say they are ahead of schedule. There's not a whole lot that can happen this season that's going to impact how we feel about the long term. But in the short term, like, evaluate every game on a case-by-case basis and see what kind of trends might be pointing in one direction or the other for the future. Uh, Corey, did you notice any trends in last night's game? Uh, I just noticed that Kyle Kuzma was absolutely ballistic. (laughs) (laughs) And every time I felt that Isaac Okoro wasn't guarding him, he was hitting the most ridiculous jump shots I've ever seen Kyle Kuzma hit. He was with a whole new type of confidence, I felt like, which – well, he the game prior, he also had that same confidence. So, thirty plus, right? Yeah, thirty six, I believe, in the Double game overtime. This I think. one, yeah, yeah. I um, I felt like the trends were really that JB's definitely just really having this team just be like, all right, I know the shots aren't falling, but the only thing this team can do for us to win is just get up in the face of Washington twenty four seven and hope for the best. Yeah, because, get back to just, the defense, man. Yeah, which is the identity of this team. I mean, I think when people think of the Cavs this year, they think of Garland and they think about just him and Allen and Mobley's connection offensively. But defensively, they're just an absolute terror. And even without Garland, it actually could somehow work as a benefit if you get Brandon Goodwin playing somewhat good defense and yeah. you get Cora playing good defense. I'm not going to sit here and say Jetty plays good defense. Where was Lamar at? <laughs> where, where, what's going on with Lamar? Uh, was he just not? I don't know. Was it just game flow? I, I, I'm wondering this because over the last two games, I feel like we haven't seen a whole lot of him. Uh, we didn't see him at all last night. Yeah, which, I feel like JB. I think JB wakes up on certain days and is like, which uh, between Lamar and Dean Wade, who am I going to just put in exile for a few for a few weeks and see how it goes? Because this is what we were saying about Dean Wade for stretches during the middle of the season. And now yeah. Dean Wade's getting the minutes that Lamar, I honestly believe, should have instead with these with the way these games are going out right now. But it's also the rot- the rotations are so small. Mm-hmm. Like we're only operating like eight man deep. And I know we're really banged up but at the same time. It's not like we have healthy bodies just sitting on the bench. Yeah, I feel like who gets kind of that eighth man spot is very matchup based. Like, I, I think if you had Garland out there and Lavert out there, and you needed someone to come in off the bench at the end of the rotation, Lamar Stevens makes a lot of sense. I, I do understand playing Dean over Lamar in the spot, just because you don't have 
like, you don't think that he could have went out last night and tried to d up a little bit on coos at certain points <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, maybe, but I, I, the cows issue was scoring like that. that that's True. That's what the main issue was. I mean, we put up 92 points. Washington put up 86. I, I don't think that was necessarily <laughs> a situation where, oh, God, we got to find a stopper. Like True. as good as Kuzma was playing, Washington could not score. And and I, I do think uh, Dean Wade made a little more sense just because you needed someone that could hit a shot, True. especially with love playing so poorly. And, and Dean played good defense as well. Um, I, I do understand it that when you are kind of looking at these matchups, it's okay. Which which of these guys, like, let, let me ask you guys this question. If there is, let's say, 15, 20 minutes available, would you rather Dean and Lamar get like seven or eight each? Or it'd be a situation where, okay, this matchup calls for Dean, so other. you're going to play the bulk of those minutes. Like, would, would you rather do either or, or would you like to keep both in the, the in the rotation? Personally, like to, go ahead, Gordon. I'll let you into that first. I, I was going to say, I feel like both Dean and Lamar are the type of player that they aren't going to make their impact in little spurts. They're more that they need to adjust to the game flow. And then mm-hmm. they kind of like I slowly get into the groove of the game. And then towards the end of their minutes is when you kind of see them flourish. Like we don't see Lamar ever come into a game for eight minutes and leave and be like, man, Lamar for those eight <laughs> minutes was fantastic. <laughs> gave them what gave them what they needed. Right. Like that's the <laughs> impact, of, you know, going out there like. See, that, that's kind of the way that I think of it because I, I share your frustration at times where I'm like, you know, like I, I just feel like Dean's been giving them consistent minutes. But at the same time, you don't want it to be if it's always a timeshare and they're splitting like seven minutes at a time. You don't want either of those guys to be playing scared that if they're going to make a mistake, they're looking Yanked. over their shoulder and here comes Dean or here comes Lamar. I, I'm kind of fine with this uh, mindset. Although the one caveat I'll I'll have is when there are those situations where it's three games and four nights and and you know, hey, we're about to go through like a a tough spot from just a scheduling standpoint, not necessarily opponents, but, you know, just the wear and tear of NBA life. I would like to see the rotation expand a little bit in those situations. But a game like this against Washington, I didn't really have any concerns about Lamar not playing just because Isaac was playing good defense. Uh, Dean was playing really well in the minutes that he got. Lowry was playing really well. So that kind of like limits the amount of wing minutes available. Jetty was playing well. Like if Jetty was playing like he did against Detroit, I'd absolutely be subbing Lamar in because then it's okay. Can, can you give us a boost because Jetty is not doing anything? So uh, I, I do think that there's a, a valid criticism within there. It's just trying to strike that balance of guys knowing what's expected from them uh, on a game to game basis. That's fair to say. And the defense held up, especially down the stretch. I think they limited Washington to one of 10 uh, from just about the six point, uh, six point uh, minute mark onward. And they were clamping them down. And I know Cora was pivotal down the stretch. Uh, but the guy I, I really looked at last night and was just, you know, taking a bit of back about what he's able to been able to provide to this offense when he's on the court. Now, not even just the offense from just really all aspects of the game is Lowry marketing. Even in his return, man, he has been vital. And even though we didn't win against uh, Detroit, he, he kept us in that game mm-hmm. and he was a big part of the win last night. So, uh, Keep, I was getting ready to say Carter. I ain't even going to lie. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Justin, thoughts on Lowry Markin's performance? I mean, we've seen consistently. 
he makes a very big difference when he's out there. I mean, if you look at Mobley and Allen together without Garland and without Lowry, I think it's like a 93 offensive rating. You add Lowry and no Garland, all of a sudden that gets up to 103, which still sucks, but it's a massive, (laughs) massive jump. You put all four of them together and it's up to 113. It's very, very effective. Like Lowry, whether or not he's hitting shots, makes a difference from a spacing perspective. He has a level of gravity that Dean Wade just doesn't have, even though Wade is a better defensive player. Mm-hmm. Like, Lowry, you can run off screens, and the defense is actually going to react to it. Like, <laughs> that, it, sometimes it's really that simple. And for him to actually hit those shots down the stretch where they really, really, really needed to hit a basket made a big difference Finally. because they were just missing open shots. They were getting pretty clean looks. And they weren't falling. And then you had on the other end, Contavious Caldwell Pope hitting a hard, hard shot. Uh, Kyle Kuzma hitting a bunch of contested shots. Like that shot he hit over Mobley made me almost punch a hole in my drywall. Like <laughs> th- that was not something that, like, I-, I was losing my mind because I felt like the Cavs were playing such good defense and there are just these backbreaking shots after backbreaking shots. And now we've actually seen a couple of occasions this year where the Cavs just really needed a fourth quarter bucket and Lowry's that guy that delivers. We don't win that Sacramento game if he doesn't hit those shots down the stretch. So uh, to get him back, I I think makes a huge difference and it kind of has me anticipating. Like I I hope Karis Levert's one to two weeks with that ankle is closer to one because that means we might get him for Charlotte uh, or at least for the weekend against Philly and Toronto. I want to see what this group looks like all together because they've, I I love the, Hey, we're all overcoming injuries and this is great. We're finding ways to scrap out a win. I'm, I'm cool with that. Like I've got that experience down pat for this year. I I want to see what this, what this death star looks like when it's all put together. Like, let's get these guys some reps fully healthy. So that that's, that's where I'm at, but it is nice to see Lowry come in and give them a boost at a time where they really need offense. They do. Corey, what are your thoughts, man? <laughs> what a piggyback off Justin's. I had a, I got enough of the Cavs being the, Hey, we can play banged up. And I had enough of that from last year. Cause there were, oh, like, oh God. God. that I'm was done. just like every day someone walked into the door and it was like, Oh, by the way, when I got out of my car, I dislocated my shoulder. So <sighs> I'm out. We're, we're, we're banking. We're banking all these injuries. We're getting them out of the way early. And then moving forward in the next few years, it's going to be nothing but smooth sailing. I mean, that's, that's the way this has to work, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I would hope that we just log these uh, injury minutes in for postseason. Runs. I'll take injuries all throughout the regular season. If it means in the postseason, will be just the pinnacle of health. That, <laughs> but <laughs> Tuesday, that Tuesday practice must have been devastating. Like uh, <laughs> losing Levert, and I, I mean Garland looked great heading into the All Star break. Like he was mm-hmm. like thirty points per game. He looked great on All Star weekend. And I don't know, like Mike Gainsey said on the radio, like this is when it's you know like a back strain. Like it's something that can feel good one day, can feel bad the next, and. Is going to be something that they have to manage this season, but I don't know if he re-aggravated on Tuesday or what I the deal guess. was. But that Tuesday practice sounded awful. Like, <laughs> that, Did, that, was JB running them hard? I mean, I, I, who knows? Like, I, I and when it comes to back or, or like a rolled ankle, that can happen on any play. And I, I, I think it's actually an important reminder too, because I think people we want to feel like we have some sort of control over this that it isn't random and you'll see something like, Oh man, if they didn't play 34 minutes, that game that he, he would have been, av- he would have avoided that injury. Uh, <laughs> 32 is great. 34 will murder my favorite player. <laughs> and, and it's really not that simple. Like these guys 
aren't only playing basketball when they're on camera. And I think it's important to know that these guys are scrimmaging all the time. They're working yeah. out all the time. Uh, they're practicing. Like there are opportunities for them to get injured at any point through a day. So I, I, I think as much as we want to feel like we have control <laughs> and I, I have like the, the secret plan of the right amount of minutes for them to play and they're never going to get hurt. Like it's, it's not something we can control. Like I, I understand that instinct, but at the end of the day, like, <laughs> you know, this stuff happens and it's frustrating, but you know, it, it's part of the game and it's, it's something that the, the league as a whole is dealing with. I mean, we've had three seasons in basically two calendar years. Yeah. Guys are going to be tired. Guys are going to be fatigued and crazy injuries part. are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rondo didn't, didn't hurt his toe in the game. He hurt it at home. He stubbed it on the couch. That's what happened. <laughs> like, that's, that's the type of stories I feel like we're going to start here next with these yeah. injuries, the way they've been. It's uncanny. Jared, uh, Jared Allen dislocated his finger while playing Pokemon Arceus on his switch. <laughs> it, did, didn't John Wall tear his ACL in the shower? Yeah. But then he, <laughs> didn't he fall down the steps? I think he did something. Uh, I thought yeah. that's how he tore he the other one or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was Rondo that got hurt in the shower at one point. Like it's, it's random. It sucks. I mean, I, I, I injure myself getting out of bed every morning. I mean, I'm, I'm old, I'm washed. I'm, I'm just, my body is trash, but you know, like, Luckily, we, we at least have some confidence in the Cavs medical staff because they've managed to get guys back, uh, get them healthy, and it's uh, it's pretty renowned medical staff. So I, I feel good about that. But, man, I just wish we could get some breaks here. Yeah. Or, just, or, or, or no, no breaks. I, I would actually prefer no breaks. If I, if I could <laughs> just get them all head. out the way, right? Get yeah, them all out exactly. the way for next season when the uh, when when some fans will probably call it championship or bust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. I just, I, I'm still excited, you know, in the long term. The short term, before the Darius and Levert injuries were, were put out there, I was feeling, you know, still like we had a pretty decent chance of not falling behind in seeding. Um, last night's game definitely helped. You know, as I sit here looking at the standings, I'm just asking myself, do I feel like this this Cavs team can continue to put up these types of efforts until DG and Levert are gone? And I just, I don't know, man. You know, you guys know me. I'm like one of the most positive people out there, I feel like. But it gets to a point where I feel like I'm lying to myself. <laughs> fake it till you make it. That's what, <laughs> yeah, that's what every therapist tells you. You got to fake it till you make it. Exactly. So, you know, I'm trying to do that right now. We're, there's just so many teams that are hot on the heels of the Caps. I mean, look at the Celtics right now. Those guys yeah. are scorching. Like, yeah. I I don't know, man. Corey, I'm sure you've seen the schedule heading up, and it, it it's not looking pretty, but some winnable games here. Yeah, this, no, I um, I just watched that uh, Pistons Celtics game yesterday because for some reason it was the only game on at like one o'clock, and I'm like, sure, I'll turn it on. And I was because I have no Boston's on this insane tear right now, and they they look like a completely different team because I remember the last time they played is when it was in Boston, and I went to that game, and that's when Gar that COVID just ravaged the team, and I was just looking. They at never the played the Cavs healthy. It's nope. one of my biggest frustrations. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, I just think this team is like, all I was saying with the Celtics team was that, man, this team just needs one point guard or someone that can just control the ball more. So Tatum and Brown don't just play ISO ball the entire game. And now they just seem like the ball is just flowing around. Udoka has done a fantastic job and Brad Stevens, I guess, for bringing back Tice for the third time. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, there's a ton of teams now in the East that are just very terrifying, especially from the perspective of just thinking that this Cavs team might not be healthy for a full three weeks. And this is like with also keeping in mind that they're trying to also integrate Karis Levert into what they're already doing. Yeah. That's the biggest part of this, about this Levert injury that scares me. It's not that I don't think he's a great player and they won't come back. It's that I don't want to get to postseason time and we're still being like, all right, so what is Karis going to, how's he going to fit like with what we're doing? Cause there were definitely growing pains in that stretch of games when he was coming back. Like he had games where he shot really well, but Sometimes it wasn't necessarily in the flow of the offense either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is a that definitely is all jokes aside a big concern. I feel like there's a lot of Cavs fans that will probably join you in that sentiment. Um, that's th- this is just untimely. You know, it comes at a very untimely situation in regards to the seating headed down the stretch. The last twenty or so games, getting him included into what this Cavs team does offensively is going to is going to be very key heading down the stretch. Um, let me ask you this, Justin. Do you feel like this team is going to be heading towards playing territory? I actually haven't gone that far down the rabbit hole. And, I mean, speaking of therapy, like one of the ways that I have managed to cope and deal with my anxiety, my depression, all the stuff that I have to go through is just – Focusing a little more on the present. I am fully aware that this could go off the rails and and they might fall into the play-in, but they're not yet. Because if I sit here and I worry about them falling to the play-in and what what happens if this is a 10-game losing streak, then I have to go through the agony of worrying about it and then also experience (laughs) it in real time. Me worrying (laughs) isn't going to do a whole lot about it. I The way that I'm approaching it is they might buy... If it's a resting situation for Garland where they rested him this weekend because they they feel good about their chances of at least stealing some of these games, if they make that decision and they lose all three games and they lose their cushion, what that means is the games in March are going to be even more important. It's going to be almost playoff-like intensity and... I mean, they have to deal with the consequences of their decisions. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. That is a learning experience. They're going to be playing really meaningful games no matter what happens. That is positive from a developmental standpoint. If they learn we weren't ready physically for this challenge and it cost us and we fell to the seventh seed or whatever the case may be, that is something the players can take into the offseason figure out what adjustments they need to make and move forward from there. I mean, you look at last year, they didn't finish strong and Garland and Allen still took those positive steps forward. Yeah. They, they made the leaps, even though they didn't have a strong finish. So I personally think more realistic, I think would be maybe the Cavs land in the sixth seed. I think it's going to be tough for Toronto to catch them. Toronto's got a difficult schedule. Uh, you look Toronto plays a back to back against Brooklyn uh, Monday, Tuesday, that's not great. Like, uh, for, for the plan, like, there are going to be two losses added to those teams at some point here. Yeah. Then Toronto plays Cleveland uh, twice. That's going to matter a lot because if the Cavs win one more of those games, 
they have the tiebreaker and that's an additional game in the standings Toronto would need to win in order to overtake the Cavs. Um, so I, I do think that no matter what, like it, the Cavs are going to play some really meaningful games and that experience is going to be good. Am I going to be disappointed if they lose these games? Yes. Am I going to be disappointed if what looked like a possible second round team goes out in the first round? Yeah. Like they've earned those increased expectations, but at the same time, like uh, I'm not going to sit here worrying about it because nothing that happens this year, whether they make the second round or they fizzle out in the first round, that's not going to impact next year. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks making it to the third round um, because the Knicks were fraudulent and Philly beat themselves. <laughs> like, did that mean anything? No, they're they're a playing team, right? So I, I I think we want to ascribe a lot of meaning to this, and really, what the the meaningful parts are how they respond to whatever these games are, not not the results of the games themselves. So I, I think it's a really interesting spot to be in. And if I can turn the table on you guys, because I discussed this on the chase down with Andrew Sharp. Would you guys rather be the four seed and play Boston or the six seed and lose home court and play Chicago? Corey, go ahead, buddy. Oh, wow. Just thank you. <laughs> Thanks you're, for giving you're me welcome. the lesser amount of time. <laughs> Matt, Matt threw that grenade. He's like, ah, I want like, a minute like, to think about this. Let me, let me. I'm just going to be so gracious and pass it to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a good host. <laughs> Um, oh man, like Chicago is the most interesting team to me in this playoff, uh, situation because they're, they have like the Cavs, they've barely been full at full strength, like this entire year. And now we're going with MVP DeRozan in a postseason, which I don't know if MVP DeRozan even exists in a postseason format, you know? So, and, oh God, um, I, yeah, I'd probably rather play Chicago, honestly, just because I know what I can see from Boston in the postseason, because their team is virtually unchanged from past years in terms of what they're going to try to do. And it has had various amounts of success. They've had multiple postseason runs together. They, they usually make it at least to the second round. This Cavs team, I can't sit here and pretend like I know what any of these players are going to do in postseason basketball, because the closest thing that we've seen to them play in postseason games to me is was what clay day was and clay day was just you could tell that whole team was pretty much just on their heels yeah they didn't they didn't didn't have any like time in the game where you could tell they got fully comfortable it always felt like they were just catching up and when they caught up golden state decided to wake up from hibernation and be like even kevin love seemed caught up in the moment in that game you know there was it was just one of those times yeah and i think Chicago in general just has it. They're a much more veteran heavy independent team. They have a lot more experienced players. Like, yeah, they all have varying amounts of playoff um, experience in general, but I would honestly, uh, Chicago to me just makes a lot more sense, especially because they're also going to be what I've been said about Karis Levert, where they haven't really gotten a lot of time with their starting five together at once. And that's something I think the Cavs could easily take advantage of, not necessarily have complete success, but it kind of, evens the playing field to an extent mm-hmm. yeah i have to agree i mean we know that we haven't played too well against chicago this season at least during the regular season but i mean boston's heating up right now <laughs> I mean, yeah. who's to say when that is when they're going to cool off so i do not want to see that team in a seven game series if we can avoid them what if, what if it's toronto instead of boston toronto in the four or five versus uh 
<laughs> Toronto petrifies me. <laughs> really, really? I think, yeah, I was, I was uh, going to propose this uh, question to Justin later of what like non top four East team scares you the most for the Cavs. And for me, it was going to be Toronto because defense, they're just built defensively. And I think if they can make the Cavs offense look worse than it can look normally at times from average level defenses, I feel like they could just turn into a let's pound the air out of the ball type offense for the Cavs constantly because switches aren't going to benefit them at all. And the pick and roll, the, Toronto's so tall that no matter what switch that Garland would get at times, it would just be a very terrifying situation. You can't just ISO Van Fleet like 90 different times and hope for the best. They're one of those teams that could match up with the Cavs very well from a size standpoint. I'll say that. So, But Boston scares me more. Boston scares me much more than Toronto. Like, and because they have that level of defensive intensity, but they also have guys that can go out and get a bucket. And I have a lot more confidence in Jason and Jalen than I do Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi. Like, that's no no offense to them or Gary Trent Jr. Like, very good players, very good team. I like what they're building. I, I think they're they're moving to in the right direction. Um, but Toronto can't score in the half court. And I think the, the Cavs are, are well positioned for that because as big as Toronto is, like they still have a 5'11 point guard. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. is a very good defender, and I think he'd be bothersome on Garland. Um, but maybe he's going to be on Karis Levert. Like I, I think that's a series where you have to start Garland and Levert. And everybody else is 6'8 or 6'8, 6'9. And our three are all seven feet. Like I, I think there, there is. Like, I, I think those are the type of teams that have really given Toronto a lot of trouble. And if assuming Garland and Levert are healthy and are able to kind of generate some of that penetration, I think it's going to be really, really difficult for them to stop Mobley and Allen. And uh, the inexperience of Scotty Barnes, like he has hit the rookie wall in a big way. Uh, his body has been breaking down at times, too. And uh, I mean, we, we've already seen now twice, once in Toronto. And once in Cleveland, where he just can't finish two feet from the hoop. <laughs> I, I appreciated the one more than the second because it, it gave the Cavs a win. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I think I, I still would. I, I think if I had to pick a team to play, it would be Toronto. I, I think it would be Toronto and then it would be Chicago. And that's more of a statement about how good the Eastern Conference is than shade on I was gonna either of those players. Like because Philly. Chicago, Oh, is a hell of a team. Like as much as I have questions about them, DeRozan's playing at MVP level. They got depth. They got guys that can score. Um, they, they've got some veteran savvy there. Like that is a very, very good basketball team. Toronto's a very good basketball team. Like all these teams are very good. Um, like if you were looking at it from an outsider's perspective, the Cavs are probably the 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 team that everyone would point to as being. Yeah, I'd <laughs> like to play them because. They are all under 24 years old and there's not a lot of experience and they've been in and out of the lineup. Like, let's be honest, like the, the Cavs are, are the mark in this situation. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt. Uh, like, I, it, and Brooklyn, it is man. what it is, but at the same time, you're, you're playing with house money here. And I, I feel are. good. I feel good about the Cavs' chances against Toronto, but if I'm Toronto, Cleveland's the team that I'd want to play, right? Like, the the fact that all of these teams are full of veterans, full of experience, and the Cavs are right there in the thick of things, performing as well in the regular season, no matter how the playoffs go, that is a big time feather in the cap because we know for a fact that this Cavs team is better than their record right now. Like w- yeah. with the number of injuries that they had, the the gap. 
the gap between Cleveland and Toronto would be even bigger if when Toronto got hit with COVID, they didn't have all their games postponed except the one against <laughs> Cleveland. Like they had all their games postponed. They get to, they don't have to play without anybody in their rotation for two weeks like the Cavs had to do. And in addition to that, teams weren't sending their players to Toronto because they were so scared that they'd test positive and be stranded in another country. <laughs> so like ter- Toronto has had advantages as a result of that. And, and I, I, I'm still confident that the, the Cavs are going to be able to perform well in those two games against them. And if you take care of the business in those two games against Toronto, you are probably guaranteeing that you're not falling to the play-in. Yeah, I feel like this team has a pretty good shot uh, at full strength. They're close to full strength. Getting some of these guys back against mm-hmm. you know a number of these Eastern Conference teams. But, man, the, the Eastern Conference as a whole has just taken a leap. And the mere fact that the Cavs have been able to hold ground really speaks volumes to me about not only the coaching staff, but the development. I mean, so the, the way that I've always viewed this season is that it was never truly a season in which you needed to push in all the chips and have like serious playoff aspirations or championship aspirations. And I've talked about this a number of times uh, with Corey and others. To me, it's, you have to evaluate these things fluidly. Uh, it's just one of those things. And, and the Cavs, I think, Justin, you said earlier, they have earned the right to have raised expectations. But mm-hmm. again, you know, no matter what happens down the stretch here, I would still consider this season a, a, a tremendous success. I mean, considering where many people picked them to finish at, and I know we're not done yet. Uh, I know that we still have this this long stretch to go to close out the season. But considering where many people picked them to finish at, I would say the point that they are already – they just had two All-Stars. I mean, that was awesome to have the <laughs> All-Star game in Cleveland, but to be in – potential um you know playoff seating that's just great mm-hmm. so yeah. i would consider it a success Corey, how about you yeah i kind of i view i think this is the most like repetitive take of all time for this Cavs team but i really do see a lot of comparisons between the Cavs this year and memphis last year because especially when you think about let's just think about this season's over the Cavs go to like maybe the second round max mm-hmm. the best thing that this Cavaliers team could do is not an acquisition like Justin was saying I think the way that this Cavs team grows more is just by the players continuing to develop because when you think about the biggest thing Memphis really did last year was just trade Valanciunas for Steven Adams which at the time was like kind of viewed as like a weird trade on paper yeah. I could I struggled to understand why that made sense but that's not what what's making this team infinitely better than last year it's the development element of Bane. It's jaw taking another step. It's all of their young guys becoming incrementally better to the point where it is basically was a transaction within itself. It was like we traded John Morant from being an A overall player to like an A plus overall player. Desmond Bain went from a very serviceable bench player to now an integral part of that team's identity. Dylan Brooks coming back is huge for that team. Jaron Jackson's become an infinitely better player. And I think the Cavs, if you could say next year we're getting Colin Sexton back off injury, that's a huge boost for this team. Yeah. Mobley's going to grow into an infinitely better player just from year one to two. Jared Allen already grew. If he stays at this level even next year, that's a huge win for this team. I think all we need to do is just take the experience and the development that this season is providing for this Cavs team and just carry it forward. And then expectations can really try to take hold. Well, you know, that's not the strong suit of a lot of Cavs fans out there, Corey. <laughs> no, it's going to be like, how can we trade Laurie Markin in our, Blow it our, up. another pick yeah. for uh, a small forward that this team could finally use? Or why can't a Coro just score more than 10 points a game? Yeah. <laughs> or Lamar I, Stevens is LeBron. <laughs> I, I, I mean, here's the thing. Like, as much as I roll my eyes at that stuff, I've like 
that comes with experience, right? Like when it comes yeah. to fans, like some people are casual fans and they want it now, right? Like I, I want that dopamine <laughs> hit now. Some are young fans and, and th- this is like uh, their, their first time with success basically since LeBron was here and I, I want it all now. Reality is like they're a couple of years away. Like uh, they might be able to exceed expectations. They might be able to post some really impressive runs, but yeah, at the end of the day, like until they're in their mid twenties, I, I don't think this is a group that can win a championship. But it's a really exciting place to be in, where you have two all stars, and neither of them is your best prospect. Like that—that <laughs> that alone is awesome. That, that is such a great place to be in, and I, I think not only can you expect that internal growth from Evan Mobley, you're also adding a twenty-four point per game player back in Colin Sexton. I don't think he's. Uh, that might be overstating when he is because I don't think he's necessarily going to come back and be a 24 point per game guy because some, so no, much of that was offense. due to necessity. So much of that was due to the way that NBA defense was called the last couple of years, where I think that inflated everybody's numbers to some extent, but you are adding a very capable player that is able a to go out there me. and get a yeah. bucket that can attack a, a collapsed defense and, uh, for all of the frustrations people have with him, like he's still someone that put up 24 and four, right? Like he is, he's not a point guard, but he can pass well enough for a combo guard and, and is right in the kind of middle of the pack uh, at the shooting guard position. So I think he's going to be a benefit. I think Mobley's growth is going to be great. I think Darius Garland, like he's still got a, another gear or two to hit. Uh, we'll see what Isaac Okoro brings to the table because um, he's one of the hardest working guys in the league. Um, he, he's, he's a guy that I probably have like the least confidence in from like a high end upside standpoint, but at the same time, you'd be crazy to rule him out because he's one of the better on ball defenders in the league and he's someone that works so hard. So I, I think the Cavs are in a position to be patient and this is a group that can grow together without infringing on one another. But at the same time, they're also well positioned that if something does become available, they're in a good position to strike on that and to make a competitive offer. That's fair enough. It's completely fair. So I guess my main takeaway from that is uh, Isaac Okoro isn't turning into Kawhi Leonard anytime soon, right? <laughs> don't I don't see that. Like it's it's funny. Like there's there's so few games where he's even had double digit field goal attempts, and a lot of that has right. to do with you know like he stands around and ball watches. And it was it was funny at uh, All Star Weekend there. Uh, they had uh, kind of Okoro and Mobley uh, on the video screen, like doing one of those like uh, guess the word kind of thing without saying the word. Yeah. And the word was cut. And uh, Isaac goes, <laughs> what is JB always getting on me to do more? And Mobley immediately goes, cut. <laughs> like, it's it's very clear. And, like, everyone assumes that the head coach of a basketball team is sitting there with a controller playing 2K, and he's the one not making Mobley or not doing? making a coral cut. No, like, it's, <laughs> this is a young guy that's learning how to play offense in the NBA and where he fits in, where he doesn't. And it's a process. Like, yes, I would like to see him be further ahead offensively than he is but at the same time like everyone grows at different rates and uh i i i think as tempting as it is to make definitive conclusions about guys how many players on the Cavs have we seen like sexton at this point like he he was awful year two until post all-star break and and then he took off like garland it, it took until year three for the breakout to really happen and uh, for someone as young as Okoro is, like just maybe four months older than Evan Mobley, I, I think you got to keep that in the proper perspective. 
Yeah, especially with a Koro, yeah. you kind of think of also the ball's never he's never initiating anything. The ball is usually yeah. when he gets the ball, it's like, all right, now shoot or drive. And that's it. Yeah. Like he can't really develop any of his other skills from that perspective. And yeah. I think when a lot of people think about players in the NBA, it's like, well, if you don't score at least 10 points a game or something, you're not developing into a very good player and you're pretty much useless. The way I kind of view a Koro is, yeah, his offense is like in, not that great, but his defense is so like insane like if i did potential for where he's going to be like he has pretty mediocre potential offensively in my opinion but his defensive potential is like through the way that it's insanely through the roof and that doesn't mean that he's never going to like matisse theibel for example is a fantastic player but you're never going to say about matisse theibel like man in the fourth quarter i want matisse theibel shooting that corner three for the sixers to close out a game but you want him on the floor because he's such a defense he impacts the playoffs in such a different way than i think a lot of fans want their players to impact the team i I think what i want to see from okoro more than anything more than the jump shot he needs to work on his handle like Mm -hmm. if he can get his handle to a point where now all of a sudden he is capable of initiating some offense that's going to open up some stuff because he's got a good uh, assist percentage for his usage he's a low usage guy but he makes the right reads um you'll see him make nice passes off cuts and uh, like the intelligence is there. He just can't get where he wants to on the court on a consistent level. And if this was last season and we didn't have Mobley and Allen in the middle and you're not in the playoff hunt and you're just kind of focusing on developing, uh, developing guys, you probably would maybe use a coral a bit like a Bruce Brown where, you know, let's, let's get him rolling to the basket. Let's have him send some screens. Let's yeah. try to use him in that way. But that's just not practical. Like, you can't do that with Mobley and Allen on the court. And it's just, like, that's not winning basketball at this point. So his development at times needs to go on the back burner. And he needs to learn how to grow within what the Cavs are currently doing. And I I think it's okay to acknowledge that because, like, the floor is already pretty high. Like, worst-case scenario, that is a guy you're comfortable coming off the bench and giving you real minutes every game because of how good his defense is. His offense is just going to be what determines whether or not he's a starting-caliber player, whether he's mm-hmm. a sixth or seventh man or, or an eighth or ninth man uh, when, when this team hits its final ceiling. That's fair to say. I, I feel like that was the plan coming into the season. Uh, we know that the addition of Ricky Rubio, you know, and how well this team started to gel together, you know, alongside him kind of kind of put a halt to that, I guess, is the best way that I can say. I, mm-hmm. I felt honestly coming into the season like JB wanted after he made the decision that Lowry was going to be the starting three, that they would attempt to put the ball in Okoro's hands more as yeah. a facilitator. But I feel like that changed along with the expectations. And so I completely agree. You know, within the confines of the offense, I guess you kind of have to find the fine line in between development and finding out what makes this team most successful and it puts them in a position to win. So I, mm-hmm. I, that is a, that's a very fine line to walk, very tough. Yeah, you kind of saw the Cavs wanted to focus on that too. And that was the whole reason they pretty much sent him to Summer League was yeah. to just get him with ball handling, have him see where his handle was at, which the handle did not amount to much. But I kind of saw him be way more comfortable as a facilitator. He he did a pretty decent job overall from that perspective. But I think people were expecting him to come into Summer League shooting the lights out. And that we got more of the same kind of what we saw last year. His mechanics were slightly tweaked, but it was nothing that I walked away from being like, 
I feel like anytime like the, with young players, it's so knee jerky. People forget how young these players are and how much room they have left to grow. But now like, I feel like heading in, like let's say in the postseason, Okoro doesn't show much more than what he's showing right now. I feel like people are going to be so down on him heading into next season. Then they're going to, then they'll realize maybe in year five, Oh wow. Well, you know what? Okoro actually developed into a decent player, but because we just, we live in a win now, like uh, everybody wants things right now. There's no time for development. In today's mm-hmm. society, that's just kind of the way I guess it is these days, especially in regards to top five picks. Yeah, if you're <laughs> like not Luca, Ja, or Cade Cunningham, you're a terrible rookie, and you should really just get back to the chip. <laughs> no, like like Jimmy Butler didn't break out until he was 25 years old. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Okoro's four years younger. Like, th- this stuff can take time. Growth isn't necessarily linear. Um, I think it's positive that you see like his field goal percentage up to 47%, his three-point percentage up to 33%. But at the same time, it's such a low volume that it's like one one hot or cold week will, will skew those numbers, right? So like, it, it, he's a very tricky guy to kind of get your finger on the pulse of. But for all the people that want him to start initiating offense, there's he's had opportunities. It's just not productive. He's not ready to do that just yet. So... I think him banging his head against the wall trying to do that isn't necessarily in his best interest. I think for now, what is in his best interest is just improving his off-ball movement, figuring out how to get in passing lanes, how to get the ball off of movement. Like The opportunities are there for him. It's just him trying to figure out that balance of, when to be aggressive and attack off ball, when to stand in the corner. And uh, I mean, that's something we saw Garland do, right? Like he was struggling to figure out when to make the right decisions because both of them are such high IQ players that are looking to make the right play where really what's required of them is an increased level of confidence and a a willingness to go out there and make something happen. And uh, to this point, that hasn't been Okoro uh, consistently throughout this year, but uh, I I wouldn't rule it out of being a possibility in the future. Yeah, no, I always think to myself when I watch Lamar Stevens play, I'm always hoping, like, <laughs> I wish there was a day where I could take the confidence of Lamar Stevens Ooh, and just yeah. drop it into Okoro and see what yeah, would happen. Yeah. Because when Okoro feels himself, I feel like he becomes an infinitely different player, and you kind of think it's going to carry over to the next game. But he's such a game-by-game player in terms of his confidence. Like, I feel like if he feels like he messes up one possession, he's like, all right, I'm just going to kind of stand in the corner then and wait until the ball comes to me so I don't screw up or, like, I don't want to initiate anything that isn't going to work. And it also depends how good the opposing defense is, right? Like, (laughs) that's that's the one thing that's funny on Twitter is because so many people, and I don't blame them for this, but, like, so many people only watch their favorite team, right? So it's, like... It, what everything is viewed through the lens of the Cavs are doing this. They did that the last game. Teams will take things away from you. Like e- even if you look at Sexton early in the season, like he was struggling getting into the paint because uh, teams were being more physical. And you play a terrible defense like Charlotte. All of a sudden, he has thirty-two points. Right? Like uh, th- there's different opportunities like uh, that will present themselves based on the opposing personnel and how well a team's playing. Are they in a funk? Are are they focused? Were were they out last night? Is it third game in four nights like those i I try to make an effort to always bring up those situations because i think it's such important context like washington we we could look at as Cavs put the clamps on in the fourth quarter they they were deeing them up uh the you know they flipped the switch and at the same time you could look at as washington they played double ot the night before and probably ran out a little bit of gas it's always both there's always there's always context to all of this stuff and I, i think 
the more appreciation you have of how good teams are around the league and all the situations they're going through, uh, the more you respect winning, the more impressive it is when you see what the Cavs are doing this season. And just the, the more intelligent you'll be as a basketball fan if you are considering the wider context in these situations. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> Great advice for people. Definitely. With that being said, man, Hornets, oh, well, Timberwolves, Hornets, 76ers. I'll go to you first, Corey. Give me a win prediction. Uh, <laughs> Those are the next three games. It's so skewed based on when I think Garland's going to come back because I feel like with this lower back injury, like Justin said, it could be like any day he could wake up and be like, my back feels pretty good today. But then maybe he walks outside and slips on the ice or something and he tweets oh, it Oh, dear again. God. Not, not calling wood right now. Well, let's <laughs> did take you a break from the box. That? Corey, or wherever you you, say wherever that? there is wood in that room, knock on wood now before you <laughs> say another all day all over work. the place. I'm knocking everywhere. <laughs> you I bastard. just, you know, <laughs> like we said, we're just trying to get it out of the way now. So by postseason time, we're going to have a clean run. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but before this podcast, I was watching that uh, Philly Knicks game and Philly scares the living daylights out of me. Is it just because of James or is it like the team as a general, you know, in general? That team was pretty good overall, even without James Harden there. But just having that secondary factor, like I'm watching possessions where they the Knicks were literally doubling Embiid in the post, leaving James off of a defender, and all Embiid had to simply do was just turn around and pass it to him. And then James just wants to dance on whoever the switch is <laughs> and just do a step back every time. I'm like, I, I just don't see ways in which the Cavs could remotely stop that. We struggled with situations where it was just Embiid and Tobias Harris, and that was giving us fits pretty much at times. And the the Hornets I'm not too concerned about. I mean, they're they're so up and down these days, they're very injured. I there's they also just don't seem to have confidence in LaMelo at times. Like they'll drag, they'll play him up until like six minutes left in the fourth. And then it's like, they kind of decide based on the game, whether or not they're going to play their, their best overall player just in the fit. Well, I mean, the they game. do get outscored with him on the court this season. Dr. Call 77 says the, that they essentially flipped Seth Curry for James Harden. Yeah, so. it was uh, kind of an upgrade if you kind of look at oh, it from that perspective. Hey, 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 that is disrespectful. Cleveland <laughs> Cavalier legend Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond was beating the Bucks up and down the floor last night. That was awesome. I, I, I actually think legitimately and not even memeing, I, I think that's going to make a difference. I think Curry and Drummond uh, with the Nets is actually, you know, going, going to move the needle for them. Yeah, people were talking about when Drummond got traded there that he was going to be their backup big, and I'm like, I'm sorry. He takes a lot of unnecessary hate. Uh, I got (laughs) to say, I mean, Cleveland fans in general, you know, we we were pretty tough on him, although I I don't really cut myself among that group, but there was a lot of hate that was spewed towards Andre Drummond, but he's not a terrible player. I just felt like he tried to do too much. Yeah, no, I was Mm going to say, the only thing about Drummond that – ever pissed me off is when he decided he was going to try to go point God in like an unnecessary <laughs> amount of time in the third quarter. And he's like, uh, Hey, Darius, the were, the court. <laughs> it yeah. was the worst when we were in that banged up stretch too, when we were just running with our tertiary and quad quad point guards being like, all right, you know, what's be really good idea right now. Set a pick for me, JaVale, watch me dance. <laughs> then he would just try to go to work. And it was just always something I wanted to just look away from. That was the only time I was ever upset with Drummond, which there were times actually in the Nets game yesterday, Justin, I don't know if you noticed where they would, the uh, Bucks would score and Drummond looked like he wanted the ball off the inbound. And they're like, no, you're passing it into me. And Drummond's <laughs> like, oh, all right. <laughs> <And then he laughs> defeated. But yeah, 
the the Drummond acquisition to me, it, like in terms of the posting, that's going to be huge for them because they were really yeah. missing that type of presence overall. And then Ben Simmons, whatever they get from him, essentially is a bonus, and we don't know yeah. what that's going to look like. Yeah, I, I mean, you look Kyrie, Curry, KD, Simmons, Drummond, like. That's that's more than enough for Kevin Durant to to win a conference like that. Uh, I, I think they are going to be very very scary uh, if they remain in the play in. It doesn't matter if they're the seven or eight; they're going to be the seven seed because they're winning that first play in game. Uh, that that is not a team that I, I would want much to do with in, in the postseason. You know, especially <laughs> when you think about last season when they lost to Milwaukee, it was Kevin Durant playing with a one hamstring James Harden. It and was Bruce one Brown. toe, man, one toe. I think. I I'm really looking. Good. I'm looking forward to the two seven series of Philly versus Brooklyn in the first round. I think that would uh, that would be an absolute bloodbath. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be the best first round I think we've had in a long time. Not yeah. that those Dallas Clippers games haven't been that great, two, but two two seven in Philly versus Brooklyn and the three six Chicago versus Cavs. Let's go, baby! <laughs> bloodbath. Both teams get upset in the first round. Let's <laughs> let's do this. I'm I'm speaking into an existence. That's the way this is going to play out. So for all those worried about falling into the play, that's that's how this is going to go down. Oh man! If you had to see either one of those two in a seven game series, who would you feel more confident against, though? Oh. Brooklyn or Philly? Yeah. Philly. Yeah. Absolutely Philly. Big game James, man. <laughs> like uh, it's uh, Cleveland's got a lot of good places to go out. It's a great food city. It's like all, all of his kryptonite in one room. Like it's, <laughs> I, I think uh I absolutely I'm going Philly because from a health perspective, mm-hmm. I think Philly's a little more shaky. Um I do not want to play Joel Embiid and, and don't interpret this as me saying, oh, yeah, Cavs would beat the Sixers. Um, but if you're talking about going against Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant versus Harden and Embiid, who's got a better playoff track record? Oh, yeah, uh, Kyrie and Durant. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an easy, easy question for me. Okay, look at their ring war chest. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. compare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming you got you have the same response, Corey, in that regard. Then, yeah, I mean, I, like Justin said, I don't want anyone to aggregate this and look and be like they they all think that the Sixers are just going to be cake. Too late. No, That's no, no. Think. You you they want you want already. aggregation. You want that aggregation. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing good better for a podcast than really out of context <laughs> aggregation. Get get those clicks going, man. <laughs> we want Philly. <laughs> That's yeah. what we're saying. Maybe we'll we get Dean on. Toronto Maybe we'll finally nice. get Dean on. <laughs> We're yeah, going to put another crack in the Liberty Bell. Let's go. <laughs> They're tall enough to reach it between Jared and Mobley. Someone oh, can yeah. do it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Man. Yeah, I don't know. But circling back to the original question, though. <laughs> I got to bring y'all in. I got to bring y'all in because because y'all are, uh, <laughs> y'all are running from it. I get it. It's heavily Garland dependent. I get yeah. it. Oh yeah, that's right. There, there's a question. I'm I'm going to predict <laughs> two and two actually. Uh, I'm going to lump in the Sunday game against Toronto. Uh, I think that it's going to be a loss against Minnesota. Uh, I'm only saying that because I would assume that Garland's out uh, to get him right for that kind of Charlotte, Philly, Toronto stretch. Um, if Garland's playing, we'll beat Minnesota. I feel good about that. Uh, but I'll say win against Charlotte, loss against Philly, and then win against Toronto and. Uh, I think Cass will probably have a better chance against Philly in the games that are in Cleveland. But with that game uh, being in Philadelphia, I'll 
I'll, I'll give the nod uh, to, to Philly in that spot. <laughs> he's giving the nod. He's, he's giving the nod. Just, We're just giving him the wins by now. way of Philadelphia. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. You give him the wins uh, now, so their confidence is just false confidence. And then when it comes to postseason time, it's what we did with the Hawks in 2015, man. So we, just, <laughs> we just let them blow our doors off, and then you know, come <laughs> postseason, we smack them out. It's all 4D chess with JB. That's why we yeah. just haven't seen Lamar. It's a, it's a 4D chess game. <laughs> We're all exactly. just waiting. Exactly. All right, yeah. Corey, you're up. Uh, to echo Justin, <laughs> I would have to say it's also probably two and two. Uh, just like I, the Garland factor, it, it's not. It's 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 obvious, too obvious to say that this team is Garland dependent in terms of when I think they're going to win games. I'm much more confident in them even going toe to toe with Philly or those types of teams with Garland there, without Garland there, even with Charlotte, Charlotte's a fast paced team. They're athletic and they can just destroy you in transition if they want to. And they get, they're going to be going. ready to get some revenge too. Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> did beat last- them. Like Justin said earlier in the season when we were in, we were as weak as we are now, but I think this team's also just coming off of a rough stretch. I still think the yeah. confidence for that Cavs team was at a higher point than it is now. Like you can kind of see players, the, the the Cavs have a bunch of players, in my opinion, that are very confidence based. Like it's not that they're not skilled; it's just that it seems that when they're not making their shot, they go from being like, "All right, I'll take this contested shot," into just kind of shying away from it. And it's very contagious with this team at times. Yeah. That's what makes the Cavalanches mm-hmm. so dangerous is because they're all confidence based <laughs> shooters, and when yeah, they're all man. confident, you, it turns yeah. into a three point contest. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. Two and two sounds about right with this, with this squad. I feel like I can't go any more than that. <laughs> Three wins. I feel like is being too gratuitous uh, <laughs> for them, but yeah, two and two. I, I say if, if I'm so point out the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, I, I, like I said, I, I've tried to put this like positive ass face on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I slap it on every day and, and I act like I'm not, uh, I'm not crying behind it. Watch these injuries roll in. I just imagine Mac on Twitter every time like the Cavs are in a struggle and being like, we still got this in us, guys, every, right? And he just feels like he's time. crying it, behind it, Twitter. It's, it's the crying man with the, the mask, the, the happy That's mask. That's exactly on, you know, what just, it is. Anytime yeah. Mac tweets like, we still got this, it's like the equivalent of AC being like, well, as long as we're within 10, the game is within reach. Get it within 10. We, we, we haven't lost many games by more than 10 uh, this season. So, you know, we're, we're always in it. We're, we're not getting stomped like Toronto by like 70 points in our last two games. Like there's not a lot of games like that. So that's uh, been a very appreciated aspect of this season. I have to imagine JB is like, or AC is like Charlie day with the, the billboard of all the ideas. The he's like, yeah, yeah conspiracy, <laughs> but he's like, all right, I can't say within 10. So I got to come up with something else. And he's just going he's around. He's been a joy to listen to this season on the broadcast, man. Those, John Michael has really grown on me as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, rest in peace to Fred McLeod and whatnot, but the, the broadcasting team and, and when Brad is on, man, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah it's a lot. It's good dynamic. I'm I'm a big fan of the three person booth. I, I I like a little bit of chaos in, in my broadcast. <laughs> I just like when AC and Brad just go on a tangent, and John Michael tries to throw in a word like every two minutes. He's like, yeah, yeah same. He's like, yeah, totally, guys. Good. Yeah, like uh, like Mike Mack Green, trying right? to reel us in when we were just slandering Philly instead. Yeah, of that's exactly yeah. what it was. That's exactly what it was. I got to play that role. <laughs> and with that thought in mind, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and bring today's episode to a close. As I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thanks, Justin, for coming on yet again. <laughs> Taking time out your busy day, man. 
Anytime. Uh, I like anytime that I can, you know, step out of the host role and, and just get a little weird with it. I, I don't have to worry about time. I don't have to worry about, all right, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely appreciated. I, I love the invite, man. Uh, it, it means a lot. And uh, yeah, as a Cavs fan myself, like the, the more quality Cavs podcasts that are out there is, is something that I really appreciate. I love being able to listen to good Cavs podcasts. Uh, without me needing to make it so uh <laughs> you, what you guys are, are doing is definitely appreciated and uh i love to to see this podcast taken off thanks man i'm sorry guys i'm laughing here because i'm reading a comment down here he's calling uh brad brisket nachos <laughs> 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 i don't know if y'all remember that but yeah thanks for uh tuning in guys